Hello, and welcome to Experiences of Insight. On today's episode, we are joined by Jeb Altonica, Chief Operating Officer and Head of Marketing at Sandin Capital in Sydney, Australia. Sandin Capital is an Australian-based activist investment firm. Jeb is responsible for day-to-day oversight of the nine investment functions, including business development, technology, operations, and investor relations. Prior to his work at Sandin Capital, Jeb was COO and Executive Director of an Asian-based hedge fund, where he was responsible for risk management, compliance, and fundraising. Jeb also worked at Northern Trust Hedge Fund Services, where he was a member of the Regional Management Team and Risk Committee, and globally sat on the Management and Executive Leadership Team, as well as the Hedge Fund Services Risk Committee. Prior to his experience at Northern Trust, Jeb worked in Chicago for the Citadel Investment Group, where he was responsible for all valuations, price verification, trading P&L, and risk sensitivity analytics. Jeb holds a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration from Cal State Los Angeles and a Certificate in Accounting from UCLA. Without further ado, we bring you Jeb Altonica. I've been uh, walking around and pitching uh, for the last two weeks, so my voice is uh, starting to struggle. Hopefully, no, no worries. Hear me clearly. You'll yeah. be, uh, you'll make uh, me sound like um, Christina Aguilera if I if I sing like Britney Spears. Um, right. So, Dave, thanks for the great introduction. And you know, as I as as Dave mentioned, we work together, and you know, it's funny the way, but. It's been, it's been a long haul, a lot of hard work, and it was through working with strong guys like Dave, who, you know, obviously grew up in Southern California, Orange County, despite going to Modern Day and me going to Bishop Vermont, we were able to find common ground and work, work together um, after that the high school rivalry, um, you know, starting at Countrywide and having someone as senior and having the experience from New York, which I you know, thought I always needed and lacked, um, but, you know, just kept struggling, plugging away. Uh, but having mentors like Dave, like good bosses, uh, come hey, along hey. the way. Save it, save um, it, save it for the podcast. Save I will, that, I will. Save, save that good PR for the, for the podcast. All right. Uh, yeah, um, I was going to say, are we recording? This is, this is like prime. Can I, can I, can I use this as a, uh, you know, like a snippet or like a, you yeah. know. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean it. It's, it's honest. I felt like working with guys like like Dave and you know one of our our bigger bosses, but who was always there, Al Morales. Watching him, you know, rise to effectively be president of divisions at CNA Insurance, and then on to onto the chief risk officer and, and and things like that. I think really gave us good foundation from a technology spin. Um, you know, I worked in, in private banking for a little bit and always felt like I was the underdog or the younger guy uh, and coming up through certain positions always felt like I was fighting to, to get my foothold just given my location geography geography in, in Los Angeles and us being so far away from, from New York and the center of that, that universe. But I've had, again, going back, the mentors that, that came from that and were able to, to learn from them. Now, 
secondly, from a technology standpoint, I've also had the, the mindfulness of being able to work for firms that had a, a huge technology focus. So, you know, thinking about countrywide as, as a first example, um, despite what they did to the industry of, of home loans, internally from a technology perspective, they were always building their own applications. Maybe not on the security side, but definitely on the middle back office, uh, the whole loan trading, et cetera. So there's always a want to say, should we buy it off the shelf if we can't build it? We're gonna try to build it first. And we had a first rate technology team that was always looking to enhance and build on what others had done. So I think that was the first thing. Me getting into a mindset where I always said, I started thinking about how do we look at it from an engineering perspective, not necessarily a finance perspective. Despite being a finance undergrad and you know having a bit of finance and accounting work under my belt, I always took heed in, in the mental thoughts of someone with an engineering degree and how they approach things. And so Countrywide definitely gave me that foundation of looking at that and working closely from what uh, Dave and I thought Scott Yeager had built in a Microsoft Access database that was starting to turn over and fall over just due to the volumes that we had and taking that, working with a true developer, uh, sitting down and, and building a system, again, helped further that, that thought process. From countrywide, by no fault of our own, we all had to move on. Uh, some were ahead of the curve than others um, and went to other, other directions or moved back across the country where, where things, things were probably a little more fruitful at the time. Um, I hung on for a little bit, uh, learned a lot more as we went through that, that credit crunch. From a technology perspective in trying to see how technology led us to be more efficient and to be ahead of the curve in trying to get you know, our positions from a, from a security positioning, uh, risk metrics, being able to calculate where we stand and get that, how technology led us to, to stay ahead of that curve and, and, and try to you know, um, be ahead of any declines in our, in our, in our industry and, and definitely within our business, which parlayed me into my job at Citadel. I don't think if I hadn't had that mindset and that focus of engineering that countrywide developed, I wouldn't have been at Citadel, which again, as a large hedge fund, which runs like any other bank would, um, but lean and meaner, also self-development. They weren't like the typical guys that you would find that are gonna go, okay, we wanna go to Ed Castle and we wanna go out to FSMC Technologies and just buy stuff and bring it in and try to get somebody to link it all up. They had the mindset as well of we're gonna build for what we need to do. Um, <clears throat> and so again, stepping into that role, it was similar culture, similar thought process with a very focus on front end uh, technology. I think there was uh, two technologists for every one front end portfolio manager, trader, you know, some role there in between. So again, the focus, not necessarily we run money and we're here to put up return, but we are also here to find the easiest solution and the fastest and the best solution from a technology perspective to get from A to B, which also comes with a different mindset. When I joined my, my team at uh, Citadel, I had six people on the team. I eventually increased that to 12 in that perspective, but I had five and myself, other guys that were accounting and finance focused. I went to my MD and I said, I want to hire the next five guys. I don't care if they're finance majors, physics majors, et cetera, but I need them to have coding experience and think like an engineer. 
he said, you're crazy. You're, you're in a, a finance role. You're chopping up P&L. You're getting risk reporting out the door. We just need to stay with the status quo. I said, give me some leverage here. Let me think, let me, let me, you know, take some, some liberty to get through here. The next five guys all had coding experience and we were able to then cover what was normally three to four deaths per head. We went from three to four deaths to 10 to 12 deaths per head because of the enhancements we were able to go in to a point that we started to run afoul of technology and risk because we were building such tools within our own team that were mostly VBA focused, but having that mindset and creating efficiencies, that technology was constantly telling us, you need to slow down because we can't keep up with you. We were having compliance from the technology side come in and say, we need to come in and redocument what you're doing because you're getting so far ahead of where we are with your processes that we need to make sure that nothing's gonna fall over. And if you guys all get hit by the bus crossing the street, then we're gonna know how to keep this thing moving forward. And so taking that, that mindset and focusing and flowing, I think has been something that has helped me in my career, as Dave mentioned, you know, the progress as well as um, just being able to run efficiencies, which, which one, costs money, two, allows you to think faster, three, gets you way ahead of data. Um, and data, you know, it, it's kind of a big cliche word to say, oh, big data, big data, data scientists, et cetera but it does have its place and it does make a big difference in what you can accomplish. If you're scrambling around to just scrub data and get it into a format that you can actually use and read, if you can do that much more efficiently, you're way ahead of the other guy. Even though we all have the same data set available in the public market or whatever, if we can get there faster, we can make a decision faster, which could be minutes, days, weeks, we're still gonna get ahead of the curve and that's what's been a focus. Uh, can, I you, can, I, can I ask you a question? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for letting me ask you a question. How would you like me to address you next time, sir? Uh, Jeff, you, buddy, what, what, <laughs> I, I'm forgetting the, the pet nickname you had for me back at Countrywide, but. So, so, um, I mean, dude, your story is just so impressive and you are such a go-getter and not everybody's wired like you, you know, you are the type of guy every morning that has a backlog that you're working through and you look for areas of pockets of inspiration to keep you going. And that's your family and then other outside sources. I mean, I see you in your content that you post, you're very encouraging. You have a very good vibe over the period of time that you've been working and right now we're going through some of your Citadel experiences and you talked about your early life lessons, you know, how do you take feedback in and how does that change the way you work? And, uh, you know, also have there been any moments that you want to share, like where you've, I don't want to say failed, but maybe like something that happened or maybe you got some feedback from somebody that um, sticks with you to this day. And maybe when you're talking to, other people, junior people, or, you know, like maybe you have mentors or maybe you're talking to your boss at work or, you know, um, you know, that you want to impart on others. Yeah, Tell no, um, def definitely, definitely a great question. And um, I think it's really just, you know, I think there's a lot of success stories, much more greater success stories on Wall Street. Uh, than me, and I'll just bring up like a, an obvious example, two that come to mind, Steve Schwartzman, um, Lloyd Blankfein. 
um, very humble beginnings coming from very middle class uh, uh, families, obviously in the right part of town, which helps. Um, but it makes you hungrier. If you come and I see friends now that, you know, heads of, of some of the hedge funds we work with, et cetera, where the kids don't have to work as hard, you know, they're getting into the right schools, they're going to Ivy League, they're going to Oxford, Cambridge, et cetera. There's not as much of a need to, to or a passion to succeed because there is some backstop. I didn't have those. So I think that's part of, of, of my opportunity. I had visuals into it from my father's side of the family, uh, who I didn't really hang out with much because my dad and I only met each other maybe three times throughout my entire life. Uh, but his side of the family was always well-educated, um, very well-connected, professionals, et cetera. And so I had a glimpse into that. But my own side of the family was first-year immigrants on my mom's side. Uh, my grandfather did very well, but he worked hard. Um, he showed me... Alex, like, uh, how's, your mom doing? how's your mom doing? My mom's doing well. She's in Vegas. She's, you know, she's been retired a long time. My grandmother just passed away. So now she doesn't have to look after her anymore because my grandma was 90. So she's starting to get her freedom back. And I'm, so, I'm sorry died. to hear that. She was like your grandmother. I know how tight your grandmother was and yeah. how important. Yeah. No, but I mean, you know, at 90 and being bedridden, it's not a, a great scenario. So I know she's better off with, with my grandfather who passed away 10 years prior. Um, but, you know, they were always there, so I got a great installation of family values and, you know, thinking about it as what that means and always treating others like you would want them to be treated. And, and I, you know, Dave was mentioning some of my posts. Um, I find that to be inspirational for myself and I put it up. Um, sometimes I would just look at it for myself and then if I didn't post it on that Monday, by Tuesday I'm actually getting uh, messages from other friends that are going, hey, you didn't post up your Monday morning stuff. And I was like, okay, yeah, I figured it was just for myself, but it, it um, helped me to create and facilitate my own mindset to continuously drive forward and think about what's inspiring me today beyond just my kids and having a bit of an influence. It's like, um, it's like a Tony Robbins on, on, um, on right. Diet Coke, right? It, yeah, it's, a, right. it's a much drawn, drawn back uh, from that, you know, go get a spirit that he comes in with all that energy. And I try to do that for myself and my small network of friends that kind of follow it. Um, and those that don't look like or whatever. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> we all like so, it. Look, let me ask you one question. Um, you mentioned mindset. And I think Tim Ferriss said, if you win the morning, you win the day. So yeah. tell, me, tell me understand how you set up your morning. Is your morning important? Do you have a routine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. So um, I, I, I'm sure Dave can attest to this. You know, when you work in New York, I think you probably can, can sleep in a little bit. You still get in early. There's still stuff to do on the West Coast. I get up West at four. Th I, I get up at four in the morning, by the way. Okay. Well, see, Dave, Dave, I Dave, Dave, Dave coming from the West Coast as a West Coaster, coaster in a transplant, Maybe, you know, that's where that's coming from. But having to work, you know, get be at the office by 530 in the morning on a West Coast trying to cover New York hours, et cetera, be involved in that, I think, trained. And I, I like now my process and my routine in the morning. I get up at five, not as early as day, um, because I like to get ahead of when my wife and my kids get up, because that's when craziness gets going. And I get up, I take the dog out for a walk. I eat, I make my breakfast, I sit down, I start reading, I don't look at emails first. I need to get in the right mindset and have quiet around me um, before everything starts going. Because once the chaos of the kids and the wife goes and starts uh, continuing, you automatically get in that mindset and now chaos continues throughout the day. 
So if you can get in the right equilibrium, um, get into setting your goals for that day, being able to have a little bit of whether you call it mindfulness or quiet time or meditation, whatever you want to cliche and, and say it, allows you to just structure your day. And it comes with being also, I'm a very optimistic person. You know, you have, I don't want to be cliche again, but you know, you have a glass, glass is half full, glass is half, half empty. I'm always one who says glass is half full. I heard a, a, a recent um, story where there was these two twin boys. One was always pessimistic, one was always optimistic. So the, the parent said, this year, we're going to have, we're going to treat them very differently. We're going to buy one kid, the, the pessimistic kid, a bunch of presents, and we're going to give it to him, and he's going to be really happy, and he's going to have a better outlook on life. The kid who's super optimistic, we're just going to put a bunch of manure in his room. He's going to wake up, he's going to smell like manure, and he, that's all he's going to do. So the, the story goes, the you know pessimistic kid wakes up, opens all his gifts, he looks around, he goes, oh, is that all I got? I thought there'd be more. There were so many boxes. So he kept his, his, his mindset of being pessimistic. The optimistic kid wakes up, he sees a bunch of manure, he pulls the shovel out, and he's just digging around. The parents come in and go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm looking for, you know, that one gift that I really wanted, that simple underneath all this manure that you left in my room last night, trying to play a trick on me to hide stuff. And so it comes back to just your attitude. If you can start the day or even finish the day so that your morning looks optimistic i think that just that just transcends it transcends you and then as you're walking down the street and you have a positive energy you're crossing people you have a smile at them if you smile at people nine out of ten or 19 out of 20 smile back at you when you smile that just triggers other mental functions so you get happier as well and i think that's just contagious and it pays forward when i walk into the to the office and i think dave uh, when we work together can probably attest to this, you know, it was just always that positive energy because of that jovial um, camaraderie that you have with your, with your colleagues or the people that you're around, whether it's dinner or lunch or work or friends. If you have that lightheartedness, it doesn't mean you're not serious and you're not getting work done, but it just allows it to be mentally more positive and that's easier to, to get things accomplished, I think. Yeah. And respect for everybody. Wow. So that's so, my thought. Yeah. Good or bad. <laughs> so tell us, um, so tell us about your role. How do you, how do you juggle it all? Um, because, you know, as I was mentioning earlier in the call, you have a pretty large remit. Do you, you know, surround yourself with a good team? Um, you know, uh, anything you want to highlight about, uh, the business sand and capital and, um, you know, I've just been following them and I've read pretty much everything that I can get my hands on uh, leading up to this uh, episode. And um, so I'm pretty familiar on what you guys do, um, yeah. but I'm interested, you know, you sit, you sit, you're on the landing page of our, you know, where they break down their people. You're definitely yeah. on, <laughs> you're definitely, wow. you've made it, you've made it into that, that stratosphere. So, how, how, you know, how do you manage it? How, how do you manage it all? I think it's just been looking and, and, and I'm big at setting goals and I actually have a goal book. Um, give me one second. You can edit out this break. Let me see if I can pull it up. Um, and I won't show you the whole thing, but. And I'm not, I, and I hope you don't mind, but I'm not cutting that out because I've, I've got you, I've got eyes on you right now. So. Okay. Okay. Everybody um, gets a chance to see. 
you in the flesh. I'm going to lead with this. I can't <laughs> find it. I think it's in my bag. I know I'm, I moved something around. Um, I have a, and this was taught to me way back in the day, uh, to create a picture dictionary of things that I want. And it basically has five uh, sections to it. It has uh, personal, uh, family, career, and then just little trinkets that, that help you along the way. So I think for myself, always resetting my goals, resetting my own personal constitution, uh, keeps me motivated, keeps me focused. If I want to do well for my family, I want to provide for my family, but there's always selfishness in all of us. So that you also need to take care of uh, what's internal. And I think, um, you know, in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, talks about sharpening the salt. So you always got to sharpen your own salt, whether that's through purchases of things that you like or, you know, having patience to achieve certain goals. Um, and once you've crossed that, to also do something for yourself because we can't all just give, give, give and never take uh, for ourselves and stay motivated. So I kind of do a lot of, of that, but I also put all of that in paper and in pictures. So I can go through the six-page document that I've used in various mediums and then I've PDF'd it and printed it and, and uh, put, uh, you know, when you put the plastic, I forget what it's called, and you you, um, you put it through the heater and so it's... It, it's there. Laminate. And I've got what it laminate. Laminate. So it's laminated and I bind it. Um, and then I carry that around with me. So I can always just if I'm feeling like, oh, what am I looking for? Why am I working so hard? Uh, et cetera, I can always go back to that and, and go, where did I come from? And I also have one from from two years prior so I can see how I'm evolving. Now, getting back to the job, I think that helps with the job because as I stay motivated, I stay focused, it helps me work harder, it helps me be efficient. Um, I have a larger remit, even though that's just a function of me being at a small firm, right? With six people, um, we're, we all have our own uh, spoke on the wheel. And as yeah. you know, if there's only six spokes on the wheel and one spoke is broken, that wheel is going to be a little lopsided, right? It's going to not run as smooth. And so you can see that right away. Uh, in my remit, initially, it's as a COO, and I've done this uh, in a couple occasions. So when I spun out of Citadel, and ran Northern Trust for Asia Pacific, I had various lines of businesses reporting to me, and I had to sometimes dive into those different lines. Some, some was sales, some was relationship management, some was middle office and product control, P&L reporting, uh, some was fund accounting, and some was investor services. Um, but I would have to always show good leadership. It didn't matter that by title I'm the manager. I don't think yeah. that matters whatsoever. It matters that you show good leadership and a leader should never be able to, he might not have the technical capability, but he has to know how to organize and get his troops surrounded or surrounded so that they can march toward the goal. And I've okay. learned that. And I think Scott and, and Al Morales put that in us where yeah. just always be able to work within different complex relationships and, and kind of get everybody on the same team. And so it, it goes back to, to building on that initial foundation that I learned from working with such good mentors, uh, which is important. And today I need to have good mentors as well. So I'm always looking to people that have done what I've done or I respect in a certain industry, whether it be tech, retail, et cetera. I'm agnostic. As long as you're a good leader and mentor and I can learn from you and you can be older, younger, doesn't matter. Um, I'm constantly trying to, to refill the bucket or whatever comes out of the book, right? Um, and, and so that's been my focus and it's been, it's been fruitful. And so I balance that in a day-to-day -day basis by not multitasking. I, I think that's inefficient. 
you know, people tried to pride themselves on saying, hey, I can multitask, I can do this, I can do that. And I don't think you find efficiencies. I've been most efficient when I can say, I'm going to shut my email down for the next two weeks, two hours, and I'm going to work on this task. And whether I put on a headset um, and I, whatever gets me in the zone to focus, people know I put up a little sign, don't bug me, whatever. If it's like you're at a chedesqueria and you have a green light versus the red light, or no more meat versus yes, bring the meat on. Whatever works for you, you put the red light up, like don't mess with me for the next hour or two, or green light, bring all the meat on that I can take in the next hour, people can approach you, et cetera. Um, I think that's helped. And so you stay focused and, and building a business, you know, I've never been on the investment side, uh, but I set up the infrastructure. I set up what we talked about early on, uh, the infrastructure, getting that data very efficient into a certain path where it can be communicated and put forth where it's meaningful. It's not just raw data. And once you have that wheel turning with all the, com all the components of that wheel, so it runs smoothly, then, I've, then my remit is to go out and meet with investors and raise capital for the fund. And I can only do that and have um, meaningful conversations because I was able to, to build an infrastructure that delivers data. I can get it on demand. It's efficient. Uh, without that, if I'm, if I'm uh, you know, struggling to get data, I've got I've to crunch stuff in Excel, pull it out of two systems, um, I'm handicapped. I'm slower than the next guy, um, and that's just not efficient, and that doesn't uh, look well to people that want to look at us and are looking for reasons to not invest with us because they like the, the return profile. And I think that's held true through, you know, initially at Citadel, then moving into a much bigger role. Uh, with Northern Trust as, as they sold the business that I was, I was running um, and then moving that back into a boutique space with, with Pinion Capital and being seated by Bluepool, which was the family office of Jack Monjo Tai out of Alibaba and having close relationships with them and then, you know, having to shut that business down just due to performance and market conditions. No fault of our own, but, you know, obviously a little bit um, and learning from that, uh, learning from all your failures. And I also think it's a combination of all this mindset, uh, looking for efficiencies, looking on how to always improve process, et cetera. But you also have to have perseverance, grit, right? G-R-I-T, important. Every time you fall down, if you don't get back up, you're not going to move forward. So every time somebody knocks you down, and I try to teach this to my kids now, uh, because I think sometimes they do get a little spoiled or, you know, people say, oh, we're going to knock you down or everybody needs to be equal. And, and it's not that everybody's not equal, but sometimes it's not just about uh, making sure everybody's nice because there are going to be a few mean people. And as they, as they knock you over, you stumble or you fail or you, you learn from your mistakes. As long as you keep getting up, you're eventually going to get there. And I think that's what's uh, been my process, at least my mindset. And the motivation and the goal book all helps bring that, bring that together. Let, let me ask you about um, Jeb the human being. Where's your yardstick for success? What makes you feel accomplished? Um, uh, what makes me feel accomplished, I think, is, is I, I have a goal book. Um, and that goal book is reliant on milestones, right? And so as I get through my to-do list, um, being patient, and being able to tick off, you know, certain milestones within my tasks that I have for myself, uh, I go to my goal book. And whether that goal book is funding my, you know, the university education that I, I'm assuming costs of, of X for them going to a normal state school, et cetera, 
uh, could be a goal, right? So funding my daughter's education first, is she six or going to be six? Um, and then moving on. Um, you know, we, we bought a house in Australia before we moved there and it was more of an investment process. And now we're, we just bought a three bedroom house because we needed something a little bigger. Um, and so, you know, we moved on, I've hit some milestones and, and we were able to, to move forward. And so that's what keeps the human side of me moving forward, um, making sure that I could do right for my family, um, making sure that I am also satisfied as a human being with my progress and what I'm accomplishing. And then just making sure that I give back. I have a passion for, for animal rights as well as people that I don't think can defend themselves. Like I'm not too worried about the normal human person, man or woman that's in their, you know, twenties to fifty that can uh, sustain their own and it's due to laziness or whatever is why something might not be working, but where a child or an elderly person can't really fight the same fair fight as people in that demographic or where a, a, a street dog or cat can't have the same uh, fair shape, that's where I try to lend my ex extra time. And I think one of the goals that I have for myself, and that's once, you know, maybe this new purchase is funded, it's going to be a long ways away. The kids are funded for their university education, and then you've given them a good footing. Um, is I'd like to go spend more time in Southeast Asia, um, so in Phuket, yes. they have a, a dog uh, rescue called, um, oh God, it's eluding me, a soy dog, S-O-I-D-O-G. Uh, and I'd love to just spend one or two weeks a year there working with the dogs that are picked up on the street that have been injured, hit by cars, flashed with machetes, whatever, um, and helping them. Sorry, I think I just did something. So Lee, you know, even when I can recall, Jeb, Jeb has had pugs. When I first met Jeff, he had a pug. And this sentiment about dogs and animal rights, not even rights, like, you know, just that, that way of being so interested in ensuring that the conditions for all animals were there and without question unconditionally. Yeah, I, I can say like, this is like, this is the same message he's communicated thousands of times over the years. He's really into this and feel, feels very strongly about it. And, and not only that, I, you know, I think I also opened up and become more compassionate um, through the years, particularly when I had kids. And I'm glad I had a girl first because it's, it's really also softened, softened me and made me uh, have a lot more empathy across the board for just everyone in humanity, as well as living in multiple countries and multiple cities across the states and then, you know, in Asia and traveling extensively around Asia. And then now in Sydney, you really get a a feel for a lot more how the culture is and how other cultures are. And I think that just makes you a better human being. But I also joined um, an organization called Hedge Fund Care, HFC. Um, and sometimes in New York, it's under the moniker Help for Children. It, it originally started here. So I'm, I'm a board member for HFC on the Asia chapter. Um, and it's also, I'm also the chair of the allocations committee. Um, and the remit is child, uh, uh, child abuse and child trafficking. Again, another, you know, group of individuals that can't defend themselves. If I think about my kids, you know, people can take advantage of, of people in that age group. And if they come from parents that aren't aware, aren't worldly, or don't have enough education, they can also be taken advantage of. And so I think just being able as, you know, people have been good to me and given me opportunities and, 
I've been able to provide well for my family, um, as well as, you know, be able to do things that I love. Um, I'm also trying to ensure that I balance that with being able to ensure that other people that aren't as fortunate or haven't had as much drive or, or passion that I've had, uh, get that opportunity to thrive in their life and hopefully pick that up and then pay it for as they do. I have a, you know, a parting question for you. I don't know if Lee has any more questions. I wanted to know for people that are interested in, I, I look forward to you pushing like you're um, putting out, posting the motivational themes or different ones. I've always loved that about you. Um, you should see his list, Lee. It is, I've witnessed it, I evidenced it. And I, it sounds like if you're keeping a notebook, it hasn't changed much. Um, yeah. Maybe some fancier pens or something like that, or better great yeah, paper. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but he's he is so motivated and disciplined, and uh, it's it's a pleasure to to see you in the flesh. And uh, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, you're sharing your story and um, helping us know how you get through it all and what keep how you stay on track and how you pull it all together. One or two questions. So here's, yeah. here's, uh, here's, and I'm not sure if we've already covered it, but in regards to moments of insight that you've had throughout your career, um, do you recall a specific moment or an interaction or a point of reflection that changed things for you? I think just, you know what, yeah. Um, I was at a firm prior to Countrywide, um, where I was, I was ultimately fired, right? Um, for lack of a better word, um, I had not gone into an engagement uh, with my full-fledged uh, part. Um, I didn't like exactly what we were, I was doing there. Um, it was uh, fairly boring to me. I was doing it because I thought I had to do that to get that kind of experience. Um, but you know, sitting down, it wasn't like they walked in and just gave me a think clip and said, you're out. I sat down with a managing partner. He said, look, I don't think you have passion for this. Um, we're more than likely, you know, releasing you uh, to be able to pursue what you really think you want to do and, you know, what you talk about where we see your passion. Um, and he was pleasantly surprised that I turned around and I said, no, thank you. I appreciate that. I, said, I did feel like once you start getting a mortgage and you start, you know, going into the normal role of life, um, you have to get up in the morning. You have to go work. You've got to pay a mortgage. You've got to do things. And sometimes you're, you need to be pushed, whether that's pushed down, pushed over, whatever it is, to be able to write yourself in the direction that you should be going. And so I think by them releasing me, even though I wasn't ready to leave, at least at my own you know, fruition, uh, having them give me that push pushed me in the right direction, helped me find my passion, uh, helped me, even though I joined a very similar firm, the capacity that I joined the next firm in was more related to what I really loved doing. And so I think there's times in life and you really get back to just being optimistic. When life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, right? Um, I think some of these, these old tales that get told by our parents and handed down still hold water. You know, it's, it's the attitude and it's the approach. And if you're always learning from your experiences, even if it's a fail, it's still a plus because you're learning something. And if you never turn off that learning switch, you're just always going to be better tomorrow 
and you're always going to be closer to what you deem as success. And success is a wide definition. It's what you feel successful doing. You could be in a one-bedroom apartment for the rest of your life, but providing for others and making other people happy, et cetera, as a clown, whatever it is, and that's successful and you have your part in life. Some of my teachers, I go back to some of my teachers and I think about what they were trying to instill in us and their sacrifices that they made as teachers, dedicating their time away from their families, et cetera. And that, to me, is just the epitome of what they felt was their own success. And so, you know, making sure you define it, because I think a lot of people walk aimlessly through life because they think it's been prescribed for them. They think, I've got to go get a good job. I've got to go to university. I've got to get a corporate job or I've got to, you know, start a tech company or I've got to do this, I've got to do that. You don't have to do anything except what makes you happy. And I think if you just walk through life and you actually find some direction and you either, you're either a visual person and you put it in pictures or you write a notebook and you just write it and scribble it out, but you've got to think about it. You've got to know. It's like walking into a meeting and not being prepared. It's like walking into a test and not having studied. You have to prepare for what you want in life and you've got to have direction on the way to get there. And that's for anything. It could be the simplest. It could be the most complex. It's what you define for yourself and making sure that you understand that for yourself. It's self-awareness in its simplest form, right? It's being self-aware of what you're capable of, where your strengths lie, and what makes you happy and going after that. Thanks for reaching out, guys. I feel very humbled being able to do this. I hope I can contribute. And, you know, just thank you. I love what you guys are doing. Sounds good. Thank you very much for taking the time, buddy. I really appreciate it. All right, guys. Have a good rest of your Friday and a good weekend ahead. Thanks. Bye. Take care, buddy. See ya. Looking good. Keep it up. Thanks. From the experiences of Insight Team, we'd like to thank you again for taking the time to join us. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you'll continue to tune in. Thank you and have a nice day.